Welcome to the Overdrive Outdoors podcast. Your source for coyote hunting, fishing, and more. We're calling West Texas, and we're filming, and we called 36 coyotes in one night. Two years ago, three years ago, I had in one morning six bucks that were three and a half and older within 50 yards of my stand. Six different bucks one morning. It was in October. Went made my first coyote stand, me and my cousin. And uh, very first freaking stand, guys, we called up seven coyotes. <laughs> seven coyotes. Florida itself is a fisherman's paradise. We stick out in the middle of the water, man. There's water everywhere. Let's kick it in the overdrive. This podcast brought to you by Predator Hunter Outdoors. Locally owned and operated out of Attica, Michigan, Predator Hunter Outdoors will keep you hunting when the sun goes down. Predator Hunter Outdoors has something for every budget and experience level, including lights, night vision, and thermal, as well as a full line of tripods, mounts, and predator calls. Look them up on Facebook and Instagram at Predator Hunter Outdoors, or visit their webpage at www.predatorhunteroutdoors.com. Enter the promo code LIGHT for 20% off light products, and TRIPOD for 10% off tripods and mounts. With today's technology, hunters in the field have more tools than ever to maximize their outdoor experiences. One of those tools is a Grand Rapids, Michigan-based HuntWise app. The HuntWise Pro app is loaded with features including property lines, landowner data, windcast, huntcast, over 250 map layers including 3D maps, a localized rut indicator, as well as discounts of 20% off various name brand products. Step up to the Elite membership and you will get all of that plus HuntCast 2.0 with customizable alerts, Whitetail 365 which gives you season dates and local rut times as well as the best time to plant your food plots, a 15 day hunt forecast and 40-50% to 50% discount on name brand products. Enter code OVERDRIVE for 20% off your membership to HuntWise. Good evening, everybody. Uh, Overdrive Outdoors podcast this week is myself, Kevin Rott, and tonight we have special guest James Bostock from Idaho of Boss Predator Acoustics. How are you doing tonight? Hey, doing pretty good, brother. How's it going? Doing good today. Um, I know here it's actually finally starting to cool off. I just went outside a couple minutes ago and I both the humidity and temperature are dropping, mm. so I'm thinking that feels really nice and makes me want to get out hunting again <laughs> yeah yeah you and me both i was gonna say you know it's 8 p.m out there so it's 6 p.m out here so um it's still pretty toasty i think when i looked at the outside temperature we were it's been better today i think the high was 92 but i think it's still the highs right now 92 i think it's 92 outside currently so but it should be about 67 tonight so it'll cool off significantly over the course of you know the a.m so it'll probably be about 76 by the time 78 when we go out. So it looks looking like, forward to it. It's like most of this coming week is going to be a little bit cooler. So I'm thankful for that. Thank God. Yeah. I yeah. Have, it moved through here. I, I, you can watch it come from the West and that hot front. You can just see it just slide by. I felt sorry when it hit the, the Midwest and it was like 115, 118. Oh, yeah. I just couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I was like, Oh my God. I told, showed my son, I said, thank God we don't live out there. Cause it got up to 105, 106 out here, but 118. Right. Oh my gosh. So what part of Idaho are you in? 
Um, the South Central Plains down here, Twin Falls along the Snake River, just south of the Snake River, actually. Okay. So if you were to look along and, and right in the center of the state, so you've got kind of, we've got some cities, you've got Pocatello over on the east side, you've got Boise on the west side, and then Twin Falls is just kind of right in the middle. If you go straight, if you follow, go straight down, uh, like at an angle, the main, the main I-15, if you were to follow that south, then you'd end up in a uh, Salt Lake. Okay. So how far away are you from the border of like uh, Nevada and Nevada? Oh, about an hour, about an hour. Okay. Roughly. Gotcha. Um, so tell us about yourself. I mean, are you originally from Idaho? Born no, Brown? actually I was born in uh, Fort Belvoir, Virginia. So I lived out there. Um, we actually lived in a uh, falls church, then moved to Manassas. Uh, when I was, I think, just just going into school. And then we moved out here to Idaho because my grandma and my uncle Ernie lived out here, my great uncle. And my mom got a divorce at that point. And so she moved out here to Idaho. I've been living here pretty much ever since. I've It's, it's not totally true because I've lived in Japan and taught English for a while. Really? Um, I, I lived in Boise and Pocatello while I was doing like my bachelor's and my master's degree. And then I lived in Indiana after that until my son was born. When my son was born, that's when we decided to move back to Idaho. So, so how's your yeah. Japanese then? What's that? How's your Japanese? Uh, but it's been 20, 30, 20 <laughs> some odd years. I mean, I can I remember that? Yeah, but can I remember how to? I'm not sure I could could speak it fluently if people were actually talking to me. Yeah. I catch words at this juncture. It's just like a word capture game almost. Right. Yeah, that's better than mine. I only had, uh, I was in martial arts, which obviously they use Japanese terminology, but then I did a uh, conversational Japanese course through one of my employers because we dealt with the Japanese a lot. Gotcha. So I had a little bit, but not not as up as what it sounds like you are. Even. <laughs> well, I, I, li I lived out there, I taught English out there. And back in that day, I mean, you know, you could make a lot of money. It's it. It was during the high point in Japan's kind of uh, industry, and and they were. I remember they were buying up like half of, you know, L.A. and San Francisco and what have you. But yet, you could go out there and back then, I think I was making about a hundred and fifteen dollars an hour teaching English into individuals. Wow. And I mean, that's insane. I mean, back here, I think the the wages back then it was three dollars and i want to say 35 cents an hour was the wages standard oh. wages out here so to make 115 dollars an hour even though the cost the cost of living was crazy out there mm. you know but but that was a pretty strong motivator so so growing up were was your family involved in hunting outdoors much you know um not at all. My dad, my dad was when he was younger, they, you know, every year they'd set up their, their military tents with the, the wood stove and what have you, and everybody get together and hunt. My dad had a bad experience with the deer. Um, he shot it, it fell. He, he went over to cut its throat and that buck got up and my dad had his arm around its neck and dragged him all over the place and he cut its throat but he had to he had to hold on to it till it bled out and after that he just stopped hunting that was it for him wow. he, he just 
it ended his hunting. So he taught us how to use guns. He got us out there shooting, but he just had no interest in hunting. So pretty much, and I was in my family, you know, my brothers occasionally go out and shoot rock chucks or get a pheasant or something. But for me, it was, it became a passion. Like I remember getting my first 22, my first pellet gun, my dad got me a pellet gun first and and I could kill rock chucks with that thing. It, it, I think you're supposed to pump it up to three and I'd pump it up to like 10 or 11 and I'd shoot, I'd go out and hunt rock chucks and, and I'd do that dang near every day. I started trapping about the same time. And then the next year at 11, I got a 22 long rifle. So a Marlin, you know, the tube feed yep, semi-auto and I hunted rock chucks and I'd kill, you know, back then I'd kill pheasants out in our backfield, you know, cause I come home from school and then the pheasants would be running around out there and I just head shoot them so that we could <laughs> cook them up on the grill. And then, uh, the next year my dad got me a shotgun. So, and actually I don't, well, Oh, it's not back here. I thought I might have it in the gun rack behind me, but I don't, but, um, yeah, so it just, it became one of those things. We had a big family and, uh, it became, it was for me, it was just peaceful because our house was pretty chaotic. Had a family. What's that? Yeah. Big family. Yes. And so for me, it just, you know, I'd go, I'd get home from school, do my homework, do my chores, and then I'd grab my gun and go hunt. And that was pretty much, pretty much my life. So, um, and then, uh, I, I don't know everybody. I mean, in, I guess in college, not when, when, when I was out of high school. So before I got to college, everybody thought I was going to be a fishing game officer. You know how you do the senior, what are you going to be in the future? Everybody thought I was going to be a fishing game officer or a taxidermist. <laughs> that was the two things they thought I was going to do. So you, you never know how it's going to turn out. Um, how old were you when you finally got into predator hunting then? You know, well, my twin brother passed away. Um, when I was 21 with a rifle. And so I, I pretty much stopped hunting for about, I, I, I got, I got rid of my guns, all of them um, at that point in time. You know, I couldn't look at a gun and be around it. And it took me about eight years, I think seven or eight years before I picked up my first gun pistol. And then I started I got another pistol out mostly for um, CCW was allowed out here. And so I decided to go that route. It was the first year they offered it. So I got myself a gun then I got my wife a gun. And then after that, I started buying rifles again and started hunting again. Didn't really get into coyote hunting like I do now until um, I know it was at pretty much I would say this coming Christmas, it'll be 15 years. Okay. So, and it's because uh, I, I started working out in Castle Ford School District. The kids would come in, they'd have lost, uh, a sh- I mean, literally you'd be walking down the hall and some kid would be like, you could tell they were just torn up about something. I'd go talk to them and they'd come back and the coyotes had killed their prize chicken. Their, the sheep they'd been raising for 4-H, you know, their, their, the the animal that they were going to take to the fair for ag and i mean this and it just wasn't every once in a while 
I mean, it kind of blew me away at how often coyotes were just causing chaos out there. It's a real small community. I mean, you're talking one general small store, three bars, two churches, and a gas station. That's Castle Ford. Mm-hmm. And it is totally ag and dairy. And uh, I loved working out there, K through 12 district. And uh, I love that place. But that kind of, that's what got me into coyote hunting again. I mean, because we used to do it incidentally, but I never did it seriously until I started working out there. And because they, they would say they knew I was hunted, but I lived for deer and elk back then. Mm-hmm. I was just really, my brother and I, we lived for deer and elk. You know, we geared up all year for them. We'd scout all season. And, and that was our gig. And uh, we'd hunt coyotes incidentally. So I had a call. We'd go out and call them occasionally, but it just, it wasn't a, it wasn't like a passion. Right. So once I got out in Castle Ford, it became a, a passion. And once I killed my first night coyote, that really sealed the deal for me. I mean, really, that was the end of it. I knew it was like true love. When you meet your true love, yep. that was it. I've killed that first coyote and I knew right then and it's been 15 years and I still, like I'm going tonight, I'm still excited to go. I mean, so. so when you first started, uh, well, let's let's back up a little bit here. What are your laws in Idaho for predator hunting in terms of like season and equipment you can use? Gotcha. Well, they've changed. They've changed this year a little bit because in the past, um, we it, it was 24-7, 365, but the, the 24-7 was limited to you could use spotlights you could use artificial light etc on private property with written permission from the property owner on your person so that's how i did it from my first six or eight years i mean i just knew all the property owners out there and i go and uh have them give me like permission on their property and i just keep them organized in my the cab of my truck so in my glove box i just had them all so i could pull them all out little decks of uh, landowners yes and i'd pull those out put them in my pocket you know but there are times when it'd start raining or whatever i mean and i'd have to replace them and finally i talked to fishing game and i said listen can i just take pictures can i email those to me or take pictures of them and just keep them on my phone and have that with me and they were like yeah so then we started doing that but um i Actually, I bought night vision and I bought thermal at the same time. So, I mean, I was one of the first guys in the country. I mean, you had Todd Yui, you had some other guys that were running thermal back then. There weren't many, um, but I ran a thermal handheld and then a night vision optic. Um, and so I was really relegated and stuck on private land, which wasn't the end of the world, but there were a lot of times, you know, when you're out hunting and that coyote will be on the other side of a fence and you could easily shoot it. But the other side of the fence was private land somebody else owned or worse yet, it was BLM land. And so I couldn't, it was public land. So I couldn't shoot or you'd have to set up in a, in a way that wouldn't allow you to, to be hidden. You know, I'd have to be right out in this wide open field, totally exposed because I've got to be on his private property. And so there were just times it didn't work so well. So about six I don't know, seven years ago, I ended up picking up my first thermal scope. So that would allow me to hunt anywhere. So that's kind of how things work. If you had a thermal scope, you could hunt pretty much anywhere at night. You didn't need a permit, et cetera. And there were different areas of the state, like here, they had an artificial light permit, which would allowed me to hunt out 
on pri- on public land, but they won't sell it. Our fish and game office refused to sell it. It was a dollar seventy five permit, and other areas like um, Boise, so uh, the Nampa Fish and Game Office, they'd sell it to guys for a dollar seventy five. But the problem is, you could only hunt in that area. So I could go up to Boise and get a permit, but then I could only hunt on public ground out there. So I just decided to go thermal. If I'm understanding this right, there's different regulations for thermal use versus night vision or lights. Yes. But they've, they changed it this, this last year due to wolves. They're, they're really trying to work the wolf numbers down. I mean, they're, they've been out of control since they were introduced back into the state about what is almost. 13 to 15 years ago that they reintroduced wolves and uh, the numbers have always just exceeded their expectations uh, pretty dramatically. And so this, this last year that all the means that fish and game is employed to try to reduce their numbers, they haven't been able to do it. They opened up wolf hunting quite some time back, but it's still not having the same impact. So what they did was they finally opened it up to night hunting. So you can get a wolf permit. It goes from, I believe, June to June. And along with that, because they, they allowed night hunting of wolves, they also um, made it so that you can now get an artificial light permit. It doesn't cost you anything. And you can hunt other predators like coyotes. They took some things off the list, like we can't shoot badger now at night, et cetera. But you can shoot, um, you can shoot fox. You can shoot coyotes, um, et cetera. So jackrabbits. From what you were saying, it sounds like when you really got into it, you went straight into the night game. So did you not do much daytime coyote hunting before you jumped into the night game? Well, previously I did. I mean, uh, let me put put it this way. When I say I didn't, I did it incidentally. Mm -hmm. Well, it's not to say like I didn't make my own first call before Fox Pro was making calls. You know, I made my, I had a speaker, I put a handle on it. I worked with computers. I tear them apart and put them together. So I made my own, like I took a speaker and turned it into a call. And then you'd have a radio shack amplifier and with 50 foot cable, or maybe two of them. Sometimes we'd put together, depending on how far we wanted to move it away from us, you know? And so, yeah, I did, I did day hunt and I still do day hunt occasionally, but I don't love it the same way I do with night hunting. I think it, it harkens back to hunting at night is so quiet. There's so few people moving around. It's, it's more like hunting when I was a kid, Yeah, you know, I did it for the peace. Now, if you go out hunting, there's so the population has changed so much here in Idaho. You go out during the day, there's people moving everywhere. They're coming down. Uh, like you get down a two track in the middle of nowhere and you think you're alone. You're not. There's all of a sudden a motorbike or some two tracks just sliding down there or some guys pulling up in a truck right into your stand and they're sitting there right in the middle of your stand looking at you. And so at night, it's just it it is more peaceful. I think there's there's something there's something calming and peaceful about being out there in the middle of the night. And now, you know, more guys are getting thermal. I, I think I was the only one with thermal in the state for many, 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 many years. Now I know quite a number of guys using thermal. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and there's more guys out at night. So, and now that they changed a lot of night vision, you're going to see even more guys out at night. So back then when you jumped in, what was the, um, optics that you first chose when you first started? (laughs) I'm assuming, you know, I've been following you for a while. I bet you went through a whole bunch of them, but I'm just curious what you 
originally started with back in that era. Yeah. I can't remember the Russian model name of the night vision I had. It was horrible though. And I had to order, nobody sold a decent IR here right. in the States. Um, you, I had to order my thermal, uh, my, my thermal was a Raytheon, a thermal I 250 D. So it was a big handheld unit. It was like a, it was like a, um, camcorder almost. It actually used camcorder batteries, but it was big, very simple. You know, 1X, 2X digital, uh, white hot, black hot thing was built like a tank. Right. Um, they they sold for insane amounts of money. I remember w like when I saw it, it was I, I watched it on eBay for almost eight months, getting on a year. And the guy wanted eight thousand for it at the time used. And I got some tax money back. And I offered the guy, I think, what, 22 to 2,400, somewhere in there. And I think it was 2,400 because I could spare that out of taxes. I didn't hear back from him until about a week later. And he said, sure. By then, I'd already put some some tires on my wife's uh, car. So I only had $2,125 or something like that left. And I had to say, man, I, I spent some of it on taxes. or I spent some of the tax money on uh, tires. And and he came back, okay. And so I got that first optic for $2,125. And I used that for six years, that oh, Raytheon Thermal I-250D. It had a big 100 mil lens. Some of them had 75 mil lenses. And this had a 100 mil lens. It could see way out there, but I mean, at 1X resolution, right? And I usually didn't run in 2X. It just made it too pixelated. Mm -hmm. But you could see a long ways, but you didn't always know what you were looking at, right. you know, which came over time. The more I used it, the more I could just tell by the way something was moving out there that, hey, that's a coyote. We got some coyotes coming in out there. So what we do is we just wait till they came in close enough, get the guy. And I trade off my brother's scan. I'd be on the gun or I'd scan my brother be on the gun. And we did that for years. So, so what other species do you have out there in terms of predators you can hunt? You have wolves, coyotes, I'm assuming fox, cats. Yep. You have bob, bobcat. They're not as heavy as in some places like in Texas. You got tons of bobcat here. They are more elusive. I would say they're out there and we do have a season on them. That's really short. Um, so, which is disappointing. We have mountain lion, um, none of which you can shoot at night. Like bobcat, you could shoot at night. I, I believe they took that off the list. Um, mountain lion, you never could shoot at night. And um, that has runs a season from September to early March. And so, and, and I run into those quite frequently. So I run into mountain lions more than I will bobcat typically. Um, but since I'm hunting mostly at night, because I just like right now, I, I, I don't know how those guys do it when they're out there hunting in 92, 93 degrees. And especially back east or down south where you got the high humidity, that's got to be the most unpleasant thing. You know, here I go out at night. Usually the the wind when I go out is 15 or under and it's cool. It's 78 degrees. So it's it feels even cooler than that. You know, it's beautiful and it's perfect hunting conditions. So what about fox? Yep, we can hunt. We can shoot fox out here yeah, at night. You have more than one species of fox there? Um, there, there are some grays, but they're for, they're east in the state. I've never seen a gray here. I've seen some blends. I have shot a shot a red one time that was looked like it was, I mean, like 
it was a phase almost that was part gray fox, part red fox. That makes any sense. Mm -hmm. So, but most of them standard reds out here. Okay. And we do have a, oh, speaking of like different predators, we do have an occasional black coyote that'll get killed out here. It is just few and far between. I I know a guy um, in Weezer killed one about a year and a half to two years ago. Gorgeous, gorgeous coyote. And then there was a guy um, south of Mountain Home that killed uh, a, a typical black phase, what you'd consider. Um, and that was, man, I got to say maybe eight or nine years ago. And those are only two, two I've seen mm-hmm. um, in all the, that time. And I've actually seen one myself, actually two myself in all the years I've been hunting. Um, so, but never, never killed one. I've killed that, that I, literally, I don't know, in the thousands of coyotes. I've never taken anything but a standard, typical vanilla Idaho coyote. So back in the day, I know the fur market was pretty strong. Do you guys have much in terms of a fur market out there now? I mean, are you like most of the rest of us where the fur market is just tanked? No, you know, brother, it's it's driven by China and Russia. And what's our relationship with them right now, you know? And so we're going to get beat up on fur probably. Um, that's just the way it's going to be. Now you guys, and, you guys don't have a bounty on any of them, do you? Nope. Utah does yep. 50 bucks. So you got to keep like part of the ear and top of the skull or something or bottom of the skull. I can't remember, um, down in Utah, but, and I think that's why hunting in Utah can be kind of tough sometimes. Cause there's a lot of guys going after him. Mm-hmm. You know, I talked to one guy that did 75 stands down there and he would, he, he and his buddy were frustrated and then they pushed it up. He was at 125 stands when he called me and I had to give him some advice about coyote hunting. And three stands later, he did get a coyote and he was thrilled. But I mean, I couldn't believe it. I thought 120, when he was at 75, I thought that's nuts. Right. But at 125 dead stands. Wow. I mean, that shows you that some of those guys are persistent. I, I would have, I'd have given up and gone to something else. I'm literally, if I'm doing 50 stands before I hit a coyote or even 20 or, uh, 15 i might find something else to occupy my time well, i'm back, back when i don't I have the patience started, back when i first started you wouldn't want to hunt michigan then mm. <laughs> yeah, Brutal. I, oh it, it's bad i mean of course back then there's the learning curve you know me being the newer hunter but the average according to most everyone else that was still involved in it was average was seeing one coyote per 20 stands Oh my goodness. I know there's guys still out here that do that. Uh, it's, it's not uncommon for a guy to do 20, 25 stands before they get a coyote. I think, uh, I've been very fortunate. I spent, my wife was ill. I, that's probably part of why I, I kind of kind of honed the craft, so to speak, because my wife would be ill. I usually work, but I hunted nights. So it allowed me to hunt on a weekday, but it meant that where I hunt is about a half an hour from where I live. And so I would come home, do dinner. If she was doing well and I could hunt, then I, I would go out and maybe do a, like, and the weather was, was right. I might go out and do a stand, but it'd take me an hour to get there and back. And then I'd have, have maybe I'd put in an hour, hour and a half, and then I'd go to work the next morning. So I come home, go to bed, get up the next day. So I really only had one or two stands I could do. Um, so I really 
focused on trying to increase my percentages. I mean, I put a lot of energy and time into paying attention to what I was doing, trying to figure out coyote, you know, um, I won't say psychology, but um, they're motivators. And, uh, and so that I, so that if I went out and did one or two stands, I would get a coyote. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty much where I'm at right now. I've, I, I usually get a coyote on my first stand. Sometimes I'll get a coyote on my second stand. If the pressure's low, sometimes I might, I might push three stands. It's really rare that I ever do a four stand. And I just, I kind of just did that while my wife was ill for, for the last five years of her life. Um, man, I, I, if I didn't have coyote hunting, I'm not sure I'd have made it through those five years without stroking out or, or, uh, or just having a breakdown of some sort. Cause it was pretty tough. She was really struggling. I wasn't getting hardly any sleep. I was still expected, you know, I still needed to get, get to work, provide income. I needed to take care of her. Um, and it kind of got crazy for a while. Um, for <laughs> the last five years was pretty crazy. So if I didn't you know, like coyote hunting for me was therapeutic. It was, it, it was like, it was a way of erasing this, this, the chalkboard, so to speak, mm -hmm. you know, in my mind, it kind of reset me. Yeah. It meant I could take on a whole lot more challenges and, and build that pressure builds up, builds up, builds up. I go out hunting. We got to start from scratch. All that stuff seemed to disappear and be gone. And probably because I was so focused in what I'm doing, it just kind of like the carpe diem living in the moment. It was a little bit like that, I think. Yeah. So thank God for coyote hunting. You know, I never thought it would be a part of my life like it is, you know, never dreamed, mm -hmm. never, ever dreamed of it. But thank God that uh, we fell in love because it definitely is a life changer for me and been a good thing. Yeah. So back when you first got into it pretty heavy, you picked up night vision, you picked up thermal, you had lights, I would assume back then. What were you using for a rifle when you first started or were you running shotgun? Well, um, nope. Cause at night, you know, it's kind of hard to, the thermals back then and the night vision scopes weren't rated like they are, like the pulsars are right now, uh, you know, where you can really send some jewels down that barrel and still have a functioning optic, you know, electronics weren't as robust, I would say. Mm -hmm. And so I was running a 223, uh, DPMS sweet 16. That's what I started. I like short, heavy barrels, um, personally, uh, get the best accuracy over a wide variety of ammo typically. And then um, during the winter uh, for reliability, I usually would roll over to another 223 um, short, heavy barrel was a savage hog hunter. That was, I just like accurate guns. It means I can shoot out to about 400 uh, with 223 and still drop coyotes and the, using 50 grain V max is what I use. So boiler room or neck, stay off the shoulder, stay off vegetation. You're good to go with those. Um, from about 75 to four. And uh, so I liked a gun that would shoot half inch or better MOA with my scope on and uh, with my night vision. And those two guns were capable of doing that. So that's what I took primarily out in the field for a lot of years. I just used those two rifles. And uh, I, I have, know, I know you still shoot 223. Do you still shoot either one of those rifles now? Actually, um, I shot out the barrel on that sweet 16. I actually changed the stock. So what I did was it's a pretty heavy gun overall. Cause you got that short, heavy stainless barrel and it's bigger than an inch diameter. I mean, it like factory, I couldn't even put another lighter hand grip on it or barrel nut on it. We, I had to take it to my machinist. We kind of, um, I had him take some of the diameter off. I was worried it'd ruin the accuracy and I put a different hand guard. I put a different butt stock. I always had a different trigger in there. 
but I got it configured lighter because maybe I'm getting older or just maybe I'm carrying more gear out there. I'm not sure. Maybe a combination of the two, you know, yeah. and uh, I wanted to reduce the weight of it. Cause sometimes I'll go out and hike in snow, you know, three quarters of a mile, set up a stand. And the more you're carrying in, and especially if you're dragging maybe two coyotes back with you, it becomes kind of arduous. And so I thought let's reduce some weight. So I did that with the DPMS sweet 16. Um, I ended up rolling from that Savage Hog Hunter over to a CZ mini action, a 223, the um, 527, because mm -hmm. it's a light gun and it's a, had a 25.6 inch barrel. I cut it down to 16 and had it threaded. It's been a beautiful gun to use, um, but mostly I use 223. I've got other guns that I'll take out occasionally, like I'll take out a 6.5 or, you know, I've got some 243s and, I, but I always fall back to, 223 it just it just kills coyotes mm -hmm. so well that like i always base things off do i want to chase it and i don't and right. so with the v max uh, i think um, i i always keep kind of stats i think if i were to average year over year for last 14 years 13 years i've been using 13 and a half years i've been using v max i will get three runners per hundred and out of those three, I will lose one every two or three years. And, but usually out of those three runners, I'll find them between 30 and 80 yards from where they were shot. And, and they'll be dead when I get to them mm -hmm. every once, once a year, maybe I might have one that's still blinking its eyes, but isn't moving. Um, it could have been a spine shot. I shot a little high, um, but I switched over to those 55 grain Blitz Kings when ammo started running low about a year ago. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you what, I love them. They don't, they're not shooting as fast. They're not as flat as the, the 50 grain VMAX, but I can shoot through shoulders. I don't have to wait for vegetation to be out of my way to make shots. I've shot through sagebrush, cheat grass, et cetera. I don't have to worry about them exploding like those 50 grainers. And so those 55 grain Blitz Kings, Man, you, if, if they're not so great on the neck because they don't shrapnel as much or as fast, so you're not going to get that artery like you would on, um, on the VMAX. But shoulders and boiler room and vegetation, it's a good trade-off for me. I mean, because now I just point it at, I don't have to worry about like staying just off the shoulder, which I'm really careful about my shots. And that's why I think, um, I think you have to be with 223. You have to have the right bullet, but you also have to know what that bullet can or can't do. Yep. And um, and that's why I said VMAX 75 yards and in. A lot of guys shoot VMAX. And if you're shooting back east where you're shooting shorter fields, it's not as great a bullet because if you're running 3125 with a VMAX, like 50 grain VMAX, and you shoot it in um, you shoot in the chest, I, for me, anyways, out here, what I'd find is if I was inside 75 yards, I better be ready to anchor that coyote. Cause it'll knock it down. It, it, it get up it get back up and run off, you know? So I've always like inside 75 yards, I was ready to anchor one. Now I've got some underwoods that run 3,400 um, because I ran out of my brand. So I bought those and on those, I had to be ready to anchor a coyote inside a hundred. Like if I hit a coyote at a hundred yards, it might still get up and run. And I was like, what the hell? And so I think speed, like the slower those VMAX are running, the more effective they are, yeah. but you, you can't, you can't be on the shoulder. You right. can't, you got to be in the neck or in the boiler room and they are very effective, but those damn uh, blitz Kings, 
man, you put one through the shoulder. You don't have to worry about brush or anything, which we do get quite a bit of vegetation. So I don't have to wait for my shots anymore. I don't have to sit and think, okay, let's get them over here to this open gap and I'll shoot through that. Now, if there's some cheat grass between us or sagebrush, I'll poke them. I don't care. So that's <laughs> nice. nice. Now, then I think it was probably what, about oh, a year and a half ago, you finally went and suppressed. Is that about right? Uh, two years ago. Yeah. Two years ago. I was thinking a year yep. and a half, two years. Yep. Yep. I actually, you know, the crazy thing is before my wife passed away. So it, this August 17th, it'll be five years before she passed away. I ordered one of those SIGs that you remember when the SIG came out with that, the, their first suppressor, the 762, I, I can't remember the name of it. TIQD um, suppressor. And it's, my son mentioned it to me the other day. It's still sitting over there with the at the SOT FFL. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, because my wife was going to turn the paperwork in for me, right? Well, she and she ended, she was struggling with her health. She ended up putting it in one of her crochet books. So I thought it was sent off. I, I mean, because I was working, so she was going to send that off. She got ill again, and then she did pass away that year. And I just assumed that at some point he would call me. Well, it and 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 I wasn't even thinking about it. Actually, the year she died, I, I didn't even think about it. But it it came to a couple years afterwards. And I was like, what? The? You know, I was doing some cleaning around here. I started putting some of her things together. It got to that point in time where I felt like I needed to do something with her stuff. Um, and either give it to her daughters. I mean, there were things that I thought her daughters might want. So I put put things in boxes and I came across my, my individual form in one of her crochet stacks. And I was like, so it's my, my son just mentioned it to me. It's like just this last week. He's like, dad, cause I built two uh, in the meantime, I just, I did a, you know, I, I manufactured a couple of my own out of titanium and steel baffles and I, they're really nice. But my son was saying, hey, we should see if that guy still has it and give him a tip for storage fee. Right. He may <laughs> he may have started using it himself or sold it. He probably thinks I'm dead, you know, because he hasn't heard from me. I'm surprised he hadn't called me or anything, but I, I totally forgot about it. Put it out of my mind. But we have another one floating out there somewhere, maybe. Right. So do you feel that going suppressed has made a difference for you for predator hunting? Um, in the traditional sense, no, uh, I don't think a guy needs a suppressor. Do I think it's nice? Absolutely. Um, out here, most of the time, if you pull the trigger, they are running and I mean, they are belly to the ground and they are moving fast. It, it, you, you know, I've watched a lot of videos from guys hunting back East and they'll shoot and that coyote will run 15 yards and stop and look, and then they'll shoot another one. The other one will run a little ways and look back and that doesn't happen much out here. I mean, typically when I think of you take your, that first shot suppressed or not, that the, the coyote is gone. Mm -hmm. I mean, the second one, you better be ready to shoot it. Cause he's running to jump into a pivot track or he's running to get into vegetation or a low point. Uh, they just put their belly straight down. I mean, it's amazing how fast they can run with their belly that low to the ground mm -hmm. and, uh, and they are moving. And so, uh, I, I don't know that it works in that that traditional sense of you're going to get more shots at coyotes 
quiet. But what I do like about it is you're not bugging people at night and it's nice on your, my ears. You know, I don't have to, I don't have to worry about, you know, ear, my ears ringing. I probably blown out that hearing anyway, over the years. I probably don't even, it this probably doesn't even exist, but I love being able to hear that thump. Mm. You know, when you put a good shot, like the last coyote I got the other night, um, you know, my nephew, finally, he was spotting for me. Um, and I shot that coyote and is so much louder. It's so much. And I, there's a very visceral kind of pleasantness to knowing you put in a good shot before the coyote even falls, you hear that thwap, and then the coyote rolls over, you know, and I, there's something I do like about that, but I also like just, it's a, it's kind of a feature of courtesy for the people whose uh, property you're hunting. I hunt late at night. I might be out there two, three in the morning, man. It's nice not to, to know that like, they'll be like, Hey, were you out here last night? Cause I'll put a coyote out like by their, there some some of them want me to put it by their drive or they have different places they have a dead pit or what have you and they'll call me or message me and say hey did you come out last night and i was like yeah and they're like well we didn't even hear you you know and that's always a good thing <laughs> yep so i've run into the same thing and i have some landowners that specifically only want me to run suppressed on their property um not necessarily as much for them but for their neighbors oh yeah they're like yeah, yeah we don't we don't want to bother the neighbors so yeah go ahead and shoot suppressed out here please you know what I mean? that's no problem yeah well i think uh you know for me i just felt like you know it was a luxury item and with my wife's health we were i mean really we spent a crazy amount of money i'm still paying off medical bills from her passing mm-hmm. um that's my goal because they have liens on my house right now she had uh you know pre-existing condition back in the day so you know you couldn't get that covered when they switched over to obama uh my school offered spousal coverage, even though they tripled the rate. So uh, we couldn't keep her insured. It was impossible. So everything has to come out of pocket. So, so I did just never felt, I felt like that was a luxury item buying a suppressor, but, um, and, and then, you know, we had the ATF going all in on those, like extending the length of time for a manufactured suppressor. I mean, you know, guys were waiting a year, year and a up to almost a year and a half to get their suppressor. So I decided to, to manufacture one to, cause guys were saying you can do it in about a month or so. And I thought, well, let's try that. So I did it 19 day approval two nice. years ago. Nice. Yeah. So I decided, well, that was so fast. Let's do a second one. <laughs> so, and that was a 23 day approval. And now I heard there are, they're both, uh, I think the manufactured is what getting on six months or something like that now, well, they um, which is they, fairly reasonable. Yeah. They claim 90 days actually for a form four form. Yep. one. I'm still seeing guys get them in 30 days or less. It's kind of all over the place though. Well, I think that if, you know, if a guy can, can afford to do it, I'd highly recommend that they do. I, I, I never thought that it would make that much of a difference to me, but I won't go out. So I won't go out unsuppressed anymore. I just won't do it. Even if I'm out in the middle of the desert, if I decide to do a desert run and even if there aren't any residences around, I will use a suppressor. Mm -hmm. It is, it lengthens the barrel, unfortunately. So you got a little bit longer stick you're dragging around, but the trade-offs is just not, is so nice. You know? So what do you, uh, you, you talked earlier about, when you first started, you basically made your own collar 
Uh, what are you running now for caller in terms of either e-caller or hand calls? Okay. Well, I don't, I used to, I used to use nothing but hand calls. Then I made my own call and started using that. And, and I was a computer guy, you know, in my spare time, actually, I ended up being a manager at Dell. I ended up teaching A plus and networking plus and INET plus and classes like that um, for the school district out here. But um, I, I love computers. So I, I fell in love with that while I was doing my master's program. Um, they came out with the first computers you could kind of, you could actually change the front side bus speed. You could change the frequency of the processor itself, the memory speed, et cetera. And, and I just, I don't know, I just fell in love with building computers back then. So, um, I had that electronics tech, uh, just kind of self-taught skills. And because I love computers, I loved applications. So I started making my own sounds for my first call, my first call. And, um, they weren't that good, honestly. They worked, but they weren't that good. But I wanted some sounds that I could have. So I, I blew most of those. Most of those were just done, you know, I, instead of carrying the calls out there, because I'd lose my calls. That was the problem for me. When I take hand calls out, I'm the kind of guy that I'll be out there and I'll come back and I'll be like, where's my lanyard? And, <laughs> and I just went out in a huge alfalfa field, you know, up to my knees. And now I'm walking back with my light, trying to follow each step, looking for my lanyard. And so I use, uh, I've switched totally over. I don't even, I take one call out there in case I have a problem with my call. And I remember my first little Spitfire. I had tons of problems with that call. Um, it was a great little call. Uh, that was the first um, manufactured call that I, I got. And I liked the sounds on it. But when they came out with Lightning Jack, I really love that sound. That's what got me into really making sounds. Mm -hmm. That sound right there. Because once I burned that sound out, I wanted another sound like that. And that's where Jack Smack 1, Jack Smack 2, Jack Smack 3, you know, all those came from was because it was the first time that I'd heard a sound that was frenetic like that, you know. So currently I'm I'm running an outlaw. Okay. And I run the I, I like the outlaw and the night stalker. And there's the main reason is I, I you know, it's loud. We've got big country out here. Um, I didn't feel like the GC units were just big enough and loud enough, you know, they're tiny little calls, but when they came out, I bought, I was like sixth in line when Tony Tebby started releasing those outlaws. And, uh, and I think I was up on the pre-order number six. Cause as soon as I saw it and I realized, okay, the volume on the thing is going to be good. The remote distance on those, on those, uh, Icatech units is supposed to be outstanding. I didn't know, but supposed to, to cut through, you know, grass and vegetation and what have you. It, it has exceeded my expectations it, and compared, cause I have a fusion in the back room. Um, I didn't buy the shockwave. I wanted something a little smaller, but when I was going to make that move, I was looking at a CS 24, you know, and I also was looking at the outlaw cause I, I just wanted something with a little more volume than that fusion had. And it's been a great call. I love the call. I love the feature set on it. But what I don't like about, and I've tried Lucky Duck, I have some, the Revolt, I've had the Roughneck, I use those for testing and what have you, but I've never found a call quite like the Icotec calls um, that I can put absolutely anywhere and they play. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's huge. You know, if I've got, if I'm hunting wide open fields that are cut or low, it doesn't matter what call I use. But out here, man, I'm, I might be dropping that, that call in sagebrush. And I don't like carrying another, like some guys will, I've, I've seen their calls like the, 
they'll they'll put them on a tripod or something to get it up so you can keep line of sight with it. The, the Fox Pro and Lucky Duck. And I've heard that they're better, but I've got an X24 here. I still have the same issue with, I point the remote at the call, I hit play and nothing happens. And that drives me nuts because at night you can't see it. During the day, now if you're day hunting, it's a little different because you can actually get back to your stand. You can kind of, and you can kind of see that call and you know you've got good line of sight. But at night, all you can do is hit the play button or pause button or switch sound, you know, and, and either it does it or it doesn't. And then you remember that, you remember at the parade, the, oh, yeah. the, the yeah. people waving, like I do that with the call. I, I call it the Fox Pro and Lucky Duck parade wave because I've got my freaking remote over my head trying to get a signal to, for it to either, you know, it played, it started playing, but now it doesn't want to stop. Right. Now it doesn't want to <laughs> switch sounds. And, and so that's why I use the outlaw. It's, it's one of those. Uh, or the night stalker. It's one of those calls where 95% of the time I put it out there. It doesn't matter if it's, it's on a sloping hill and I can't see it or it's in sagebrush and I can't see it or what have you, it plays. And so that's, I don't, I don't like that. It doesn't have categories. I, I love Fox bang. I love the sounds on Rick's calls, but when it comes to just getting the job done and playing the sounds I want it to play, it's the most reliable. It does it most of the time where the other two, I end up fighting them and I end up walking back out there, repositioning my call, or I'll have one. I usually take out one hand call. I used to do that for those calls because then, then if I didn't want to walk back out there, I just start running like my rabbit call or something, rabbit distress. And then I would hope that I could bring something in on that. Very nice. Um, So let's talk a little bit about, where you're at in Idaho because you're our first guest we've had uh that's from Idaho and usually we try and talk about tactics and see if we can hear something that's kind of specific to the area so what kind of terrain are you hunting out there okay so it depends if the wind's high I sometimes I might still go out and hunt a field so we we get 15 I mean we get some really high winds this this year I was out of the field for about three months because we were getting winds that were like gusting around 45 plus miles an hour, 35, 45. And it becomes kind of a joke, but sometimes, you know, you're out hunting. It's really nice. And then all of a sudden a a front is pushing in and those winds will pick up. So during high wind moments like that, if I'm already out, or if I know a guy's having a problem and he's got a good draws in his area, I might go down into the Canyon and hunt those draws in high wind. Um, because the wind will typically come over the top of that. Um, the bluff or what have you, the plateau, and you're a little bit more sheltered and those kyles will still be running. You get out on the flats or out here where I typically hunt, which is very, very flat typically. And we do have little ditches and things, but nothing really to protect you from the wind. Not like back east where you have all the trees, et cetera, that you can jump into the shadows or you can get some shelter from the wind. It's pretty wide open. So you're taking a beating. So anything above 15, I usually will stay home. If, if it's blowing consistently over 15 with gusts up to 20, 25, I'm, I'm not even going to go out usually. Okay. What, what um, about the terrain though that you're in? I mean, are you hunting agricultural fields? Are you hunting sagebrush like desert? Both. Stuff? Both. I really like those properties. So out here, um, we have a lot of agricultural land. Most of it's tied up private property. Obviously we have a lot of dairies, which are very good to hunt as well. Um, but when you start getting to the edge of the County, then what you're going to find is a mix of sagebrush 
where it meets up with agricultural land. I really love those spots. That's got to be really good hunting. Now. Yep. Or or you've got canals. Um, so we've got because you have to feed feed these properties. Uh, waters. Uh, we live in a desert, okay. so um, the desert plains here. So you've got to feed those. So during the during the winter, they shut down all those canals. And those are like byways for coyotes. Mm -hmm. Coyotes get in there. They'll travel from one property to the other. I love hunting those. Yep. And so um, I'll hunt the edges of fields, but I, I really, my, my favorite places to hunt are where agricultural or dairy land butts up against public land. I love those spots because you got a lot of vegetation, um, mostly sagebrush, but you're going to get grass and weeds and all sorts of other things as well. And uh, they tend to travel those areas. They probably even have, you know, they've, they've got, it's a nice place for them to bed down because they've got some shelter, some sort. So when they want to go hunt, then they just jump out in the field. It's right there, you know, plus you got water because they're providing water to those properties as well. So during the summer, if you go out here, like I went out to a place the other night and it was, we killed a coyote on our first stand. We did a second stand, nothing. And what we realized was there, there wasn't any water, like the normal the stream that goes through there was empty. And so those coyotes, they're not going to be there if they don't have access to water. So they're, they're resource driven animal. So they're, they're looking for certain things, water, food, and some sort of, you know, place to shelter down. And they'll travel. Like, I don't know out there how far they travel here. I would say at night, they will probably go about two miles and maybe maybe up to three in any direction from wherever they're sheltering down or they have denned up, you know, and during denning, it's a little different because when the pups are born, um, they won't go very far. They'll, they'll first start using the resources right around the den. And then they'll start as the pups grow older, they'll start moving further and further away from the den until the pups are then ready to move. Then they'll actually drag the pups to what they call like a staging area drop the pups off and hunt from there. It's kind of like going to the park, dropping your kids off and you're shopping at the mall across the street or at the grocery store, what have you. And coyotes do the same thing. So they, as the, as that denning period lengthens, they'll get further and further away until our coyotes don't group up like yours back East. They typically, when you get to fall, they will, uh, if you have say both safe, both parents survive and you've got say four or five pups, they will just break down into individual groups, even the, the mated pair. They, people say they, they mate for life. I have not seen that. Um, usually I will get single, 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 single. I mean, just it's insane because we've got so much land out here and there's so little competition for the resources because we do have plenty of resources that they just will spread up and break out and claim their own area and, um, and they don't have to have a big group to defend that territory, which is what I think happens back east, where you see eight, nine coyotes, you know, coming out, you know, together, full grown. Like that, to me, it, it always blows my mind. And uh, so, and every once in a while, I will see, like, there's some tremendously good resources. Like there's a dairy with a dead pile. Okay. And it's been consistently there for years. They always toss their, their cattle in this dead pile. Well, sometimes around those areas, I will see a pack of four or a pack of five. And because they do, they want to defend that dead pile. They, it, they've got access to water. They've got wh wherever they're staging from or, you know, they've got that all set up. And so they don't want to let it go. And so they will 
bump up in numbers to defend that to a certain degree, but mostly flat, mostly open. Okay. So fields. I got two questions on, in relationship to that. The first one that we're going to talk a little bit about equipment again is, you know, one thing that's gotten really super, super popular in let's say the past three years is hunting from standing with a tripod. So when did you start running a tripod and hunting from standing or don't you? Seven years ago. Seven years ago. Okay. S seven years ago, maybe a little more now when I got my first thermal scope. So when we were using a hand scanner, we were hunting off bipods. Mm -hmm. So we, cause we'd have one guy scanning and the other guy would just be sitting there with the gun on the bipod. When he indicated there was something coming, then that guy'd fire up the night vision scope. Cause we want to keep the batteries fresh. Right. And they didn't last near as long as they do now. So that night vision would be turned off until a guy indicated, Hey, we got something coming in. So then he'd fire up the unit, fire up the IR and get ready to shoot. Well, and that was fine sitting down. But um, what happened was my brother got um, part of why I switched over to getting a thermal scope was because my brother got kidney disease. He both his kidneys, they had to yank out. He was on dialysis for a long time. He couldn't hunt with me anymore. We used to be a dynamic duo kind of situation. And um, he stopped hunting with me. So I was carrying out the gun. I was carrying out the you know the scanner and it was a big heavy scanner and all the gear so and i thought you know what let's just switch over to thermal it'll allow me to hunt public and private and when i did that i made my first tripod myself because nobody was selling like heads like they are now back then mm -hmm. so i actually you know the um god what uh, my my range my range setup came with two different bags, a wide bag and a narrow bag that you could take off and switch out for depending on the size of the, um, the stock of your gun. So I basically took that. I took a cutting board. I mounted that to the cutting board. And then I made uh, the on the bottom of the cutting board, I made it so it fit into a Manfrotto style uh, mount because ARCA wasn't a big thing back then. And, uh, and then I put, I also um, made a strap, a Velcro strap that I could run uh, two loops. I could run it from one side to the other and strap the top of my gun to hold that. It was the most shitty setup in the world. <laughs> but when I first got thermal, I went out one night with it. And I swear to God, I hunted for six hours. And my back, when I got done hunting that night, and I was using... I have my sweet 16 and I'm scanning, standing up, scanning for coyotes, six hours of that. And I could, for about 30 days, I couldn't hardly move. The next morning when I woke up, I couldn't, I mean, I was like, my, my range of motion was almost nothing. It was insane. And I thought, oh my God. So that's when I built that little Manfrotto tripod setup. And then I switched over. I've been using a I like something with 40 mil legs. I like carbon fiber. I do have my own head set up, which isn't quite like anybody else's. And um, and it that that switch for me, I started with the ball heads. I went through, I don't know how many ball heads, not a big fan. I don't like how you get the Z axis shift. I don't mind the X and Y, I do not like the Z. So when you loosen up a ball head, you know what I'm talking about where 
it your rifle if you loose it doesn't take much to really disengage that ball and then your rifle wants to tip right or left and on, for 400 yard shots you need if you're tilting right or left somewhat your bullet is then going off to the right or left as well yeah. so um i I'd, i like removing that z axis and and that makes a big difference so when you were prior to using the tripod then if you were still hunting at night did that really limit your shots in terms of distance because of the terrain well the cool thing it wasn't so much limited my shots what it did was um you know when you're using you did you start out with night vision brother oh we started with lights lights yeah, okay yeah. and you might have this similar issue it's 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 exacerbated by night vision so I'd be throwing my IR, right? I'd have some cheat grass in front of me, say a fence that had some cheat grass. And I got two coyotes on an open field, the other side of it. Well, it. with night vision, you couldn't see the other, I, like you could see that cheat grass. It'd just be splashing back IR at you right. and coyotes on the other side. You couldn't see them at all. You might see their eyes flaring, but they were, they just disappeared, yeah. you know? And I had a lot of that. So, and the lower you get, when you're using night vision and IR, the worse that, that you're going to bump into that. Right. So being elevated really helps a gafella that's using night vision avoid that. And, and depending on how you throw your light, instead of throwing the beam directly at the field, if you throw it up higher above the field and let the wash from your light come down, um, it actually can be a, a little bit more effective. Yeah. But what I found was since I was sitting down and low, a lot of times I'd be, I might be standing up scanning, but then when I sat down, that coyote totally disappeared. And with uh, night vision and IR, I couldn't even see it because now, you know, its head is below those weeds where I had a kind of an angled advantage when I was standing, when I'm sitting down, they just disappeared, right. you know? And so then I had to be ready for them to pop out right in front of me or something, you know? So I'm really scanning fast and, and praying to God that, that it's going to break cover. It's going to come out of the, that grass or jump over that fence or, you know, come through the fence or uh, bust out of the, the cheat grass or what have you. Right. So did a lot of that. So now, uh, like you were talking earlier that you're thinking about going out tonight and we talked a little bit about it before, what type of conditions do you consider ideal that, you know, like, okay, these are the conditions I want. I'm getting out tonight because X, Y, and Z is perfect. Okay. So like, I'm just going to give you the perfect scenario. I, if I had a five mile per hour wind, okay, steady wind, pressure 30 or above and the higher, the better. And, you know, obviously no rain, no, you know, snow or what, what have you, heavy rain or snow, get rid of those. I don't mind if there's a little bit of light rain or a little bit of light snow, as long as the pressure is strong. Um, that's for me, the perfect time to hunt. Now does moon phase tie into that for you? He, well, okay. Yeah. You caught me. Cause out here, <laughs> if like, if, if the moon's 35% or more and you're out here standing up, usually you don't have anything blocking your back and those coyotes can see you. I mean, I've done this for a long time. Skyline. They will 500 to, to 400 yards, maybe 450. They'll just sit down and they'll look at your call. They'll look at you. They'll look at your call. They'll look <laughs> at you. And they might not know you're a human, but they know you don't look right. You're breaking skyline. Your shadow is there breaking skyline. They can see you. They can see like, Hey, what is that over there? That, that's not right. And so, I like 
dark nights, I use a, a program called Luna Soul Cal. It's like Lunar Solar Calendar. Mm-hmm. And it's for Android. I, I'm sure they've got something like it for um, iOS. But it, it tells me, like, let, I'm going to bring it up on my phone right now. What happens is, like, tonight, I can bring up that program. And even though, oh, it's a 14% moon. Like, I would hunt this all night long. Mm-hmm. Okay. But let me go back a few days. Give me a second here. So let me go back to a 50% moon the other night. Okay. Um, it's a 50% moon, horrible to hunt out here. Horrible. you know, because you just, you're just going to get spotted. Mm -hmm. There's no trees to jump in the shadows of to, you know, to try to block your outline or the moon just shining down on you, creating all sorts of reflections off your rifle and any, anything else you've got your scopes. And so, um, the other day, let me see what day this is. So July 20th. Okay. 50% moon. Moon rises at 12.51 a.m. Actually, if it's on the a.m., you have to flick to the next day because it that means on the 20th, it came up first thing in the morning before you were even awake, 11.51. So actually, it's at 1.14. So I will hunt like a 50% moon. I use this app, so I can, I'll hunt early in the evening. I'll hunt from about an hour after sunset because that's when it truly gets dark out here till you know, one fourteen, or maybe I'll just go do two, a couple stands and then I'll, I'll kill the coyote and I'll come home. So, so I don't grind anymore. When you're looking at going out as well, what do you prefer for wind? I mean, it, you know, for a lot of people that have been doing it for a while, we all kind of know, but do you prefer a crosswind? Do you prefer a quartering wind, wind in your face? Totally depends on the property I'm hunting. Okay. What I like to do is we have enough growth out here. I like to have a shooting lane to my left and a shooting lane to my right. And that's important. So a coyote doesn't get around you and get on your six, get your scent and get out of there without you even knowing it was there. Or maybe you saw it in front of you. Then it ducked into some vegetation, rolled all the way around your six without you ever getting a shot at it. And, and now that coyote is at one, it, it connected your scent with that sound, whatever sound you were playing you know, cause it was curious. It was coming in, you know, but now it's rolled around, caught your scent. It knows, Hey, this is a bad situation. Now, I think that coyotes are fairly smart animals, smarter than in most hunting dogs. Um, they have to be, uh, dogs have a pretty cushy life. Uh, and, and yet we're sometimes amazed at what they can do with their nose, you know, and their ability, how smart they are. Uh, coyotes have to survive. They got to survive on their ability to see things, hear things, and scent things. So I think they do make those connections. A lot of people like boohoo um, coyotes being educated. I find that I've seen it. I've seen it myself. I know it. I know it to be uh, true in my case, or at least out here. Our coyotes will get educated off of sounds. They'll get uh, educated off of scent. They'll catch a human scent, and I mean immediately. I've watched one come in between me and my call, hit my scent path where I'd been walking, and the wind wasn't even blowing. It was blowing from him towards my call. But as soon as it it hit where I had crossed, man, it doubled back and it was running like wow. belly to the ground out of there. Yep. And so I don't I don't mess around with that. I like to have a shooting lane to my left, right. So I might I might hunt a crosswind. I might hunt a headwind. The, the, ter- the, the property that I'm hunting is really going to dictate how I want to set up that stand and which direction I prefer the wind to be blowing. I completely and- agree. I mean, there's some stands, as a matter of fact, um, 
you know, a buddy of mine took him out here early this year. And generally speaking, I like either a crosswind, wind in my face, again, mm -hmm. depending on the terrain. If I have the wind in my face, it's because there's something behind me. I know they're not going to circle around behind me. Get mm -hmm. the car out in front, give them the opening to come into and watch those. Yep. One property we went to this year and we walked out and my buddy's kind of looking at me. I said, we're hunting this with the wind coming from our back. The reason why is I know the coyotes aren't going to be straight out in front of me and they're going to come from either the right or the left. And they're going yep. to in front of us to catch that wind. It's going to give us a perfect shot opportunity. Yep. And it played out perfect. We ended up getting a double off it. Yeah. Again, it's, you know, using the wind in conjunction with your terrain, just like you were saying. Well, I will tell you, um, um, if we're going to tie that together, one thing that I do also always do when I set up a stand is I will put my call from the position of my stand directly into the wind every time. I never cross cut wind to place my call ever, mm -hmm. never. I, I mean, I will say, I can't say never. I, mm -hmm. There may have been a couple times in the past where I didn't have a choice. I went ahead and did it. Mm -hmm. But what I do is in order to reduce my scent cone from my call to me, I will like say I want the coyotes. I expect them to come from the 12 o'clock position. But because of the way the wind is coming, the wind's coming from 10 o'clock. I won't go place my call at the 12 o'clock position. That spreads my scent off right. to my right side all over the place. Yep. So what I'll do is I will, I always will, find the direction the wind is coming and I will go place my call directly into the wind. So the wind direction is always really important for my stand. It's integral to my stand setup yep. um, because I will pick a spot. I'll hike further if I have to, to set up because I know the wind is coming from this direction and I want to have a shooting lane on my left and right. And I want to put the call directly into the wind and that will determine where I'm going to set my stand. Because I, I always do narrow that scent cone as much as possible when I'm approaching my stand and when I'm placing my call. Yep. Um, so I'm always thinking about it out here. Yep, I agree. I, we do it the same way. I mean, when we've done seminars and stuff or people ask, you know, well, where do you put your caller? Most of the time, the answer is we put it at, you know, like straight up wind of from where we're at, you know, whatever distance we're going to put it, you know, 30, 40 yeah. yards, whatever, but it's almost always upwind or, you know, if we're hunting, you know, crosswind, it's still going to be upwind, but we're going to put it closer. Like you said, minimizing that scent cone, but yeah, that's, we, I think we pretty much are in agreement on that, how we do that. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, everybody's got a different methodology like i rarely would put a call behind me but occasionally it's beneficial mm -hmm. or I'll, i usually put my call between like 30 and 60 yards so do i need an outlaw or um like the lucky duck rebel or roughneck that'll go 300 yards if you well if you got line of sight to those calls they'll go 300 yards mm -hmm. but like the outlaw i'll do about 300 yards no line of sight do you need that? No, but there's occasionally times where I've got an open field. I've got an outbuilding light or something. I've got a low cut field with, I've got a fence line right behind me and the property behind me. I can't, I cannot hunt. I can't shoot on it. It's restricted there. I don't have permission on it. And so I will go put that call 275 yards in front of me and I'll sit right on the fence line. And instead of those coyotes, usually with my with like my uh, fusion, I could only put it about 70 to 76 paces before I started losing connection or it became unreliable. Mm -hmm. 
every time I went out with that call, those coyotes would come down the edge of the field and they'd circle behind me. I'd watch two, three coyotes, you know, circle, circle around to where I couldn't shoot them. And I couldn't shoot them on the, on the, on the property edge line either. So I'd shove, like, I remember when I first got the outlaw, that was a property. I was like, Oh my God. Cause the wind always came from the South um, West on that property. And I thought, okay, if I can push that call out in front of me far enough, then hopefully maybe those coyotes will actually come in between me and the call. And what happened? I, the first time I did that stand, I, I remember I took that call out there. I placed it about 275 paces and my, my steps are about a yard, almost exactly. I'm six foot three. So I, I went back to the fence line, fired it up. And sure enough, here come those coyotes. And I knew they were there but I could never get those coyotes ever. They always either saw, if I tried to get in a position where I could stand up, that outbuilding light was cast enough light, even on a new moon, they'd see me. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sitting down. I actually, that's when I sat down on, because even if I stood up along that fence line, they'd see me. So I sat down and sure enough, one coyote came in between me and the call and three coyotes just, they came right down to the edge of the fence line and I thought, oh man, are they still going to roll behind me? Do I need to put that thing out there further? Nope. They started coming in single file right to me, just running right along the fence line. Perfect. line. And I'm sitting there like, do I shoot the one out in the field or do I just start <laughs> trying to pop these things that are lined up? And I, that's what I did. I ended up shooting at the at the ones that were coming straight at me. And uh, I got one. And then the other two immediately were under that fence. I mean, they didn't run out. So they either had to go back the way they came or get cover because you had cheat grass all along there. Both of them, boom, under the fence, gone, couldn't shoot them. But at least I killed one. So I was pretty happy about it. <laughs> Do you feel like you've got more um, predator hunting pressure out there in the last few years? In the la- Let me put it this way. In the last 15 years, okay. in the last 10 years, you know, when I was hunting coyotes originally, I mean, people would say, like, I'd be like, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, I'm going hunting. And they're like, oh, what are you hunting? And I say coyotes. And they just give you that look like you belonged in an insane asylum or something. You know, you need to be in a straitjacket. Like, what the hell are you hunting coyotes for? You know, they just, it wasn't a thing. You know, I remember watching um, YouTube videos that guys were posting. um, And like bucking the odds. I don't remember if you know those, remember Elijah, those guys from bucking the odds. Uh, they're probably some of my favorite videos to watch, but you know, when my wife was sick, I'd, I'd sit in bed instead of being able to go coyote hunt and I'd watch coyote hunt videos on YouTube, but it just wasn't a thing. People weren't into it. It, it like predator hunting wasn't as big a thing. I think even back East, you guys hardly had coyotes. There were tons of Fox, but coyotes, you didn't hear hardly about anybody in Pennsylvania or back east. They they stack up the fox, but you know, and that's why I think Fox Pro named their call Fox Pro yeah. because they were you know back east, and that's what people were killing mostly. But now you guys, just coyotes have really come on. Social media has really driven um, the sport, or the you know I call it a sport now because I think guys do run it like it's a sport you know they're not a lot of guys are out there to do it for fun they're not out there to to try to protect somebody's property or protect their animals and there are some guys that do that you know obviously Mm -hmm. but a lot of guys just do it because 
it's off season. They're not deer hunting. Some guys are die hard. They only coyote hunt or only predator hunt. Then you got the, the group of fellas that they hunt. They love hunting deer. They hunt other animals. And then when they can't do that anymore, then they'll coyote hunt, right. you know? And then you've got the guys that just do it every once in a great while. They think it looks fun. And, uh, they picked up a call and they, they just want to give it a try. And, and I'm kind of one of those guys that I hardly hunt anything anymore other than coyotes. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but yeah, the sports dramatically changed. It has, there is way more pressure. There's more people out. I mean, I hunted at night and, and cause when I'm out during the day, guys might be just out riding their motorbike or, you know, they might just be rabbit hunting or they may be scouting for deer or elk and they're interfering with my stand. They don't mean to be, you know, that's not, I never feel, felt angry at him. It was disappointing sometimes when I, right. especially when I saw coyotes coming in, I've had guys shoot over the top of me. I'm sitting down, they stop in their truck. All of a sudden bullets are flying over top of my head and stuff like that. And so I do like hunting at night because it is quieter, but certainly with night hunting, there's more people doing it. I got my buddy Cash Carlson who lives right here in town. We've been buddies for a long time and he just got his first thermal this year. And he, I think he was out last night, you know, so there's more fellas out doing it. So certainly there's more pressure and there's always been coyote hunting pressure during the day. Um, when the fur gets good, we had a couple of years, I'm, I'm going to kind of tell a long story, so I'll try to keep it short. Okay. Mm -hmm. There were two years here where fur prices for a on the carcass coyote hit 50 bucks one year. Oops, I lost my earpiece. And then um, the next year it was 75 bucks. I never used to grind coyotes. I usually go out, kill one or two, call it a night. You know, I'm in a good mood. I come home. That's that kind of, like I said, it kind of wiped the slate clean. Well, even I got sucked into that. That year they were 50 bucks. I'd go out on the weekend. I'd go out during weeknights. I'd go out on the weekend. I'd make more money on coyotes than I would like with my job. Mm. And so it kind of became this thing where for that year, man, I just, while fur was prime, I just, I ground coyotes. I mean, literally hundreds of coyotes. I, it got ridiculous. It's how I bought um, thermal because I was doing a lot of day hunting too back then. So I was still, I started day hunting a lot. Um, I was night hunting, but then I would hunt days and then I would hunt nights and I would hunt the next day on the, especially on the weekends because it was, the money was too good. And then the next year it was 75 bucks on the carcass. And I don't care whether it was a little, a smaller one and that wasn't furred up as good, you know, or it was a nice Western heavy, you're getting 75 bucks. You kick them out of the truck, they're handing you straight cash. It was insane. And so after those two years, I really did not like coyote hunting as much as when it started. <laughs> I, 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 it became work because yeah. I, I go out, I, I do this for fun. I love it. I enjoy it. It puts me in a good mood, even just being out there, just, just hunting, just, I don't know, it puts me in a different space. And so after those two years though, what I found was during, during that time, I'd go out and I'd have a stand and a coyote would duck into a drawer or something. And I'd spent maybe 30 minutes trying to get this sucker in because we don't get a bunch of doubles or triples. So, and I'm thinking that's 75 bucks, right? Well, it disappeared behind me and never saw it again. Oh, I'd be frustrated. I'd go to my truck and I'd be like, God damn it. And so <laughs> then I'd get in my truck and go to the next stand. And I mean, when you've been, when you're grinding like that and you got your, 
I'm thinking, I want this gun or I want this scope. So now I've got this goal in mind, right? And it became work. And I see guys doing that on competition hunts, right? Where it becomes a stressor. It's like they're not having fun anymore. The fun somehow went out the window because they want to win. They want that uh, pat on the back. They want that um, prize money or what what have you. Um, and I stopped doing those too because they're just too much nonsense that goes along with it. So I stopped. I'll, I'll support them. I'll, I'll send them a call or I'll send them sound uh, vouchers or what have you. But I stopped doing those because there's there's too many guys out there, one, cheating. Mm-hmm. like, And to me, that just is like, that, that kills me. But then there are guys that are just irritated because they think somebody cheated and they're, they're getting, you know, nasty. And, and just for me, it's like, I want it to be fun. Anything that's going to pull away from my enjoyment of the sport. I don't, I don't let myself get involved in anymore. So I won't grind anymore. If prices go up out here, I don't care. I, I use it for gas money or what have you. When first prime, when, um, like just a couple of years ago, you know, I was getting about 25, 35 bucks a coyote. Um, on the carcass for me, that's just gas money and snacks, right. you know, for the off season. And, and I just go out and kill one or two coyotes, but I'm not going to allow myself to get sucked back into that. I, this is going to become, I'm going to make a living off of this right. type of thing. So going back to the whole question of pressure and then now how that relates to tactics, what have you done to change up your tactics? If anything, based off increased hunting pressure in your area? Well, I think uh, mainly I can tell you, I can see it because I, you know, I made my sounds for the last 13 years. I've been making my own sounds since Jack Smack came out. And I think that was about 13 years ago. If I hazard a guess, that's really when I started making my own sounds um, with any kind of earnest. And uh, now that I've been selling sounds now, now that Zach Sims and Tim McCarthy convinced me to put my sounds out there for guys, you know, and that was four years ago. Um, there are local guys that buy my sounds or have my sounds. I will see, like, I know where they live and I can see, like, I'll have property around where they live. I can see, I'll fire up a call. I'll watch those coyotes run out of the, <laughs> run out of the field, you know? So yep. I, I, the first couple of years that got, it kind of got annoying because I'm so comfortable that I was the only one out there hunting at night, you know, and the only one using those sounds but now that my sounds are out there, I really have to pay attention to what sounds I always used to pay attention to what sounds I've used. Well, now I have to think about what sounds did I sell to this guy? What sound pack does he have? Did he buy all my sound packs? Does he just have these two sound packs and, uh, and stay away from those sounds? You know, I'll even dig back. I've, I've, I've started something a little different the last couple of years since this happened is that I will hold back sounds. It gives me sometimes a year to test them out and to tweak them to the way I want. And instead of releasing all my sounds, now I hold back some sounds I know nobody has. And so I will use those a lot of times. If I'm in one of those questionable areas, I will roll over to something no, I know nobody has. And that's a strategy I've used. It's kind of, I would say it's a little selfish, but the fact is if you're not a little selfish as a coyote hunter, um, then you you probably don't love it that much. You're probably not going to be <laughs> as driven and successful as, as you could be otherwise, yeah. you know? And I don't mind sharing my kills if I'm with somebody, you know, and if they come from out of town, I got a guy coming in. Uh, I've got a buddy, uh, you know, Creed, Will. He's yeah. out here. He's We're going to go hunting. I got another fella coming up from California on the 29th. You know, I'm going to take him out. I don't care if they kill all the coyotes. I kill plenty of coyotes. Mm-hmm. But 
what I don't want to do is I don't want to be out myself spending five, six, seven, eight stands trying to kill a coyote. I just, to me, that's not the cost benefit analysis doesn't work out in my favor. So I do like to go out and make sure that if I do a stand or two, I've got a coyote and then I'm in a good mood. I come home and that's, so there is a little bit of selfishness in that. And uh, that's why I don't show my properties where I kill coyotes anymore. I used to have videos. If there's, there's, everybody knows the area out here. You you know, I don't know if in your area, it's the same way. We have certain landmarks or certain, um, (laughs) yeah. And, and like certain terrain that guys will recognize they've lived here their whole lives. And they'll look at that. I remember (laughs) posting on Facebook. Yeah. I used to, I was pretty naive. I started posting everything, you know, I'd post a picture where I was and have, have videos and, and, guys would be like, I know where that is. And sure enough, I would go back to go to that spot. There'd be guys there mm-hmm. in their trucks, or they were trying to get the property, that property. I, I had three coyotes on or four coyotes. I killed one or two of them. Then the property owner called me the next day or two days later, once I posted my video and he'd be like, Hey, I had this guy out here trying to try to get access to the property. I just want to let you know, he was saying some not so nice things about you. I'd say, what do he say? And he'd let me know. And then I'd, I'd say, did he leave his number? And he'd be like, yeah. And I said, well, when did he, when was he there? He goes, he just left. He's probably five minutes ago. I'd give him a call and <laughs> I'd be like, Hey, I just heard from so-and-so you said I did this or that. And he'd be like, I didn't say that. Not, I, I don't know what he said. I don't know how he got that. I, I was just checking, you know? And yeah. so I've been a little more cautious about what I post and, you know, cause there are those guys that do follow you. And I understand it, you know, they, but I feel like, hey, put in the time, put in the legwork, and that, you're going to produce more. If you don't want to do that and you want to hijack somebody else, expect them to be a little selfish. That's where I'm going back to that selfish thing. Expect them not to want to share because I, I have taken guys out and they'll promise me, hey, man, um, no, I won't. This is your spot. And then the next thing I know, he's out there with three or four buddies hunting that property. That's the thing, too, is, you know, you got to respect we have to try and work on respecting each other, you know? And yeah. Well, things have changed a lot. Yeah. It's like, and I think the older guys, this is going to, I don't want to be ageist or anything like that, but I think I will, I will say more apt than not, the older guys tend to respect that a little better than the younger guys. Yeah. And, and that's, I think it's just a sign of the time to a certain extent. Um, I think your word meant something more than it does now. Mm. I think there's a lot of fellas that their word just matters until they decide to change their mind. Right. And, and so I don't know that, I don't know if it's morals. I don't know if it's, I don't know what that is exactly, but I, I do know it's a trend. And, and that's not to say there aren't some really incredible young people out here. Cause there are, I've met some that have really high integrity really quality, but I, I do notice a, a tend, a trend towards that. So I typically i take less, fewer people out. Now there's more people hunting, more people want to go with me. The more my face is out there, the more guys that want to hook up with me and have me take them out. And what's crazy is in the beginning, I was more apt to take people out and now I'm less apt to take people out. Yep. So it's, it's kind of a sad situation in some ways. Well, you kind of already answered what the next question I was going to ask, which was, you know, what got you into Predator Acoustics? You kind of already answered that based off the last question. But tell us a little bit more about Predator Acoustics. Okay, well, um, it's just one of those things that that 
I, I like having fresh sounds and, and that, and really I can think Jack Smack was the impetus, uh, not Jack Smack. That was the sound I made, but um, Lightning Jack, uh, all the other sounds before that, I'm, I'm literally, I, can, I can't think to any that they had that kind of energy. I mean, have you ever heard um, Lightning Jack? Oh yeah, I've killed quite a few off that. Beautiful sound, yeah. And I pull that off the shelf. I remember I used that when it came out. I was like, what the heck? You know, because most sounds were just like this. They're pretty uh, static and monotonous. It was like, that's what the, the most of the calls sounded like. And then you had Jack, uh, a lightning jack come out. And it was like, <laughs> you know, and it was like, holy crap, what in the hell, you know? And I took that out. I mean, literally, I, I, I was blown away. I was killing coyotes. I mean, I'd fire that up, I'd run Cottontail, and then I'd back it up with that. Oh, my God. It, it seemed like that sound, they'd just come running. I was killing so many coyotes on that sound. And then, I mean, over time, it just stopped working entirely. Mm. And I was just kind of heartbroken, you know? So that's when I made Jack Smack, and Jack Smack won. It was actually just Jack Smack back then. And... I, I emulated that high intensity kind of frenetic sound that came from lightning jack. And that's where things really got started for me. That sound got burned up. I made Jack smack two and I made a Jack smack three, you know? And since then I, I, what happens, I worked for a school district. So I had all summer off. So I just make sounds during the summer and then, School would start. It'd be crazy there for a while. About October, about a month into school, things would slow down. That's about the time fur got prime here. I'd, I'd have some fresh sounds ready to hunt, you know? And that's what happened with Zach Sims and Tim McCarthy. We're just bullshitting on uh, Facebook Messenger. And they were asking if I was going to go out that night. It was sometime in July. And I was like, well, when I get done, I'm working on a sound right now. They were like working on a sound. And I was having almost uh, just a parallel conversation with the two of them in two different chat windows. And I said, yeah, I make my own sounds. And, and the next thing you know, um, they were like, well, when you get done, will you send it to me? I'd sure love to hear it. And I said, well, I've got five or six done. So I sent them out to these guys and they started getting back to me, you know, and they were like, wow. Oh my gosh. You know, and they were giving me a lot of like, wow. And I kind of, it was flattering. I'll be honest with you. It was a little flattering that they were saying positive things and like how it's like, he's getting coyotes almost on every stand, you know? And I was like, you know, it was just kind of a nice thing. And, and then I remember they both started telling me in August sometime, they were like, you need to sell these things. And I just, you know, I kind of blew that off. I didn't, I didn't, I thought it was nice flattery, but, um, and I heard that a couple times from both of them, but then one, um, Zach, Zach Sims ended up calling me one day. It was towards the end of August. And he was like, dude, listen, James, I'm a hundred percent serious. These sounds are awesome. It's kind of cool that the, we're the only three that have them in the U S he goes, but I'm telling you what, some of your sounds, he goes, they're better than the sounds that I'm using on my call. I'm paying good money for sounds that aren't producing like yours are. And so he said, dude, you need to be selling these things. So it was a pretty serious conversation. Normally we just bullshitted and laughed together. I mean, that's kind of how our conversations went, but this had a totally different tone. I knew he was serious about it. 
So I thought about it for a while. I actually was going to pick up my son and I created an email. I was going to send it out to a, a message. I was going to send out to Facebook. I had it ready to go just checking to see if guys might be interested, you know? And I wasn't sure. Cause I've been on Facebook a long time. I love the coyote hunting communities there. I mean, I, I wouldn't even be on Facebook if it weren't for Kyle Hunt. Cause my wife tried to talk me into getting on there for years. And then one night she just had the bright idea. She's like, Hey babe, there's coyote hunting groups on there. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? There's coyote hunting group. Well, there's coyote look here. And she typed in coyote hunting, you know, and started going to some pages. She's like, they also have some gun groups. Look at this. <laughs> Next thing you know, dude, I'm setting up an account. Yeah. You know, I love the community. I love the guys. Like, I just love the people. I love the sharing that happens, the sharing of knowledge too. Like people just help. There are a lot of people that help each other out. I, I really like that. And so, uh, but I just put it out a feeler to see if guys might be interested. And I went and grabbed my son and I was driving back and he's like, dad, your phone is freaking blowing up. Cause I, I almost didn't post it. I walked the dog. I I'm sitting there. It's sitting on the computer. I couldn't make myself press the submit button, you know? And I was struggling with it. I didn't know because my wife had passed away that uh, the year before. I didn't wasn't I wasn't sure I was in a place to take if people were critical of my sounds. I wasn't sure I was ready for that kind of negativity. Honestly, did I really want to put myself out there like that? You know, could I? And then, I, as I was just about to walk out the door, I just thought, "Oh fuck it!" And I hit the button, submitted it. I left, and we're coming back from Boise. My dad's like, "Dude, your phone." He's and I said, well, just I said, what are they saying? He's like, everybody wants your sounds, you know, and I'm like, what? I haven't even like I don't even have any samples up or anything. And guys are he's like, guys are committing to buying. He's like, got so he was trying to respond to him. And finally, he goes, Dad, could you pull over? I'm just going to let you respond to him. I'll drive home. How's that sound? I was like, OK. And so I was kind of blown away by the support the coyote hunting community gave me. It's that really has. Dude, I'm going to tear up if I start talking about it, so. Um, um, I can't give enough love back to the community. Let me just say that. And, uh, you, you guys have changed my life and, uh, yeah. So anyways, it really has changed my life because for a year I kept working at the school. Now does, does that mean I'm not charging a lot for my sounds, obviously, um, and there's a lot of sharing that goes out there. You know how that MP3s are in the, in the, in the wild, but, um, guys really stepped up last year or the year, not this season, but the season before really stepped up. I brought it to their attention that like, I don't know how I'm going to survive doing this. I don't know if this is my last pack and people really just were like, Whoa, you know, I think they think I'm living high on the hog, you know, and that's not the case. I kind of keep my margins where I can survive but I'm not, there's no way I'm going to get rich or be taken. You didn't see me coming out to, to travel, to kill coyotes with you. There's a reason why, right. you know? So, but yeah, it's, I was able to quit my job and now this is what I do. And I absolutely, it's been a life changer and I've got, you know, all you fellas to thank for it. And, uh, and it is a dream for me. You know, I always thought I'd be sitting in that um, my office at the school for the rest of my life until I retired. And I, you couldn't retire out here till you're 67. Hell, most of my family dies between 62 and 67. I don't care what kind of shape they're in, what their health is. You hit between 62 and 67, you're gone. I figured some kid had come into my office someday. I'd just be laying, like sitting in my chair dead. They'd be like, Hey boss, 
And I'd be like, hey, boss, wake up. <laughs> you know, that'd be that I'd traumatize some poor kid. The last thing I do is traumatize a kid. <laughs> so, so yeah, that's kind of how things got going. And, and, uh, and that's where we're at. I, I did, I, I love thermal. I'm really, the technology has, and night vision has always been a thing, but I absolutely love thermal. And so I hope I live long enough to see a 1280, 12 micron or 10 micron core unit come out that I can afford. You know, I know uh, infrared has a camera that's capable of doing 1280, 10, but it's 40 some odd thousand dollars. Now I'm not, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to spend the, that kind of money, but once they get some, I mean, they have the technology. So will it trickle down to a, a rifle optic someday? Yeah. And I hope I'm alive and can afford it when the time comes. Right. So at least I hope I last that long. Right. Although the rate a lot of that technology is moving, it might surprise both of us on how fast it comes out. Yeah, it, it blows my mind. Even the quality, like when I look at that 15 years ago, the Raytheon, it was a pretty damn good thermal for its day. But you look at then the pulse, like I think um, the next thermal I went to, I, I got the XD75A. I thought that was a beautiful scope. You know, 3D4 core. 17 micron and then then all of a sudden boom the the and then you had the 640 you know the xp 50s coming out and then you know you always had ird out there but i mean literally my wife there's no way i was going to spend that kind of money for you know the the ird scopes and then you know trigicon obviously bought them out and then you had Envision come out with their 64012s. And now you've got, I mean, a plethora of options, you know, in the 64012 space. Now they're not the same quality necessarily, but they're still the quality of what you're getting is in, like when I look at it, it's astounding oh, compared yeah. to what I started with right. or even what I used seven years ago. Yeah. So I can only imagine seven years from now. Right. No, I agree. Well, very cool. Um, I think we'll wrap it up for this evening. So if someone wants to look up um, Pre Boss Predator Acoustics, where should they go? Well, I do have an inst. We had a, we actually started Boss Thermal. Mm -hmm. um, we did that with HostGator. And then we had issues with firearms. Okay. And we switched, they want us to do security. So we moved, rolled over to um, Shopify. Shopify, uh, I mean, we've got our web, web page set up. They wanted us to, um, I mean, we had images of you guys. You guys sent me images of your hunts and stuff and, you know, which sounds you use. So we had a page dedicated to that, you know, a scroll bar that goes along the bottom. And then uh, we had guns posted. I mean, the, my main page had an AR-15 with a call, you know, and, and a thermal. And because uh, we were selling thermal and, and sounds and calls. Well, about a month into it, they were like, we've changed our uh, license agreement. You have to take down all the firearms and any firearm accessory from your page. No images. You can't sell any of that stuff. And I was like, well, I paid for like two years up front. <laughs> right. And I was just like, so I had an argument with them. We are currently, let me just say, we're, we're going to build a Boss Predator Acoustics page with um big commerce so i've already paid them 1800 for the year for that and we 
we're concentrating on sounds right now, but our goal is to get that web page up and running, hopefully this fall. Do you know what your URL is already? It's going to be Boss Predator Acoustics. Okay. I thought about doing Boss Sounds, but I don't want it to be confusing. I think Boss Sounds is easier for people to remember, but then you got three S's, Boss and then Sounds. Right. And it is just kind of, yeah. Acoustics is tough because a lot of guys will want to put two C's mm -hmm. in acoustics. They put A-C-C-O-U-S-T-I-C, -C -C, you know? And so I still get that with PayPal occasionally, but most of our business right now, and for the last quite a while, it's actually been just running off of Facebook. You know, I'm surviving off Facebook. Instagram a little bit. I've had, I, I went the first couple, two, three years with actually nothing on Instagram and just in the last year or so, I've gotten a number of orders through there. Guys reaching out through the um, messenger and just saying, hey, man, I'd love to get more info on your sounds. And so you have a Boss Predator Acoustics Facebook page, correct? Yep. We have a, a business page and we have a group. And I, I built the group because a lot of guys will send me kills and things that they want to share. Mm -hmm. But then your business page is pretty limited on what you can post there. You can kind of screenshot and you post it. But guys were wanting to post stuff and then. It's like, I'm seeing it, but there's no way to push it to my feed. So I created the group so guys can share information about my sounds and what have you, or share their kills with my sounds there. It makes kind of a nice space. We'd like to, we actually, oh, let me, there's probably going to be maybe a couple of fellas that are upset that I'm doing this podcast with you. So Jeff Turner, Chip Dillard, um, both good fellas. But we were going to do some videos this summer on how to coyote hunt. And we were going to, because guys have been asking to organize this information a little more. We were going to talk about the motivators, um, stand set up and things like that. Well, um, that that has not yet happened because we've been sidetracked with some other expenses that have come up around here and some other things we're doing. And some actually my back roof porch has crashed and we need to fix that because it has to be dealt with. So, um, but yeah, I haven't done those podcasts, but those guys, I said no. And that was a couple months ago. And now I'm doing this podcast. So don't be angry, you guys. I love you still. And uh, it's not, not because I didn't love you that I didn't do it. It's just, we, we got sidetracked and Kevin asked me and I thought, you know what? I don't know that we're going to get this done this summer. We got a lot on our plate. So um, yeah. So Boss Predator Acoustics on Facebook um, and email, you know, BossPredatorAcoustics at gmail.com. They can reach out to me. I'm happy to, you know, a lot of guys will call me and that's fine. Or James Bostock, if you find me on Facebook, you know, send me a direct message. I'm happy to talk on the phone, what have you. And what are the price ranges of your sounds? Um, currently, uh, 20 to 35 bucks. And usually and it varies from pack to pack. pack. Yep. Yeah. Yep. For a pack of sounds. And guys will ask me, hey, why don't you do just a prey pack? Or why don't you do just a... Um, I would just want coyote vocals. I won't break my packs down. It just becomes, it's becomes time consuming because I've got that pack ready to go, ready to send. And if I've got to go build packs for these little sounds. So once we get a website up, if guys want to buy sounds individually, I'll probably, I'll, they're probably going to be increased in price because right now all my sounds are less than $2 a piece. Okay. I mean, it, and so I try to keep them cheap because uh, especially with the economy going the way it is, I thought about raising prices because my gas prices are up when I'm out testing sounds, it's costing me a shit ton more. Right. I just decided, you know what, I'm just going to wait through it. You know, either the money that they dumped into the economy will stabilize and prices will go back down or they won't. Right. 
Okay. If they don't at some point later, then I'll, maybe I'll have to bring my prices up a little bit, but in the meantime, I don't, I, why inflict more pain on a community I love, you know? So I just figure I'm not going to break those packs down. Guys, guys might buy them for like, I might have 21 sounds and they're, you know, might be a $30 sound pack or what have you. And I figure if, even if they went out and bought five sounds that they really wanted out of that pack, I'm hoping what they'll find is, man, um, okay, I would have bought those for 30 bucks, you know, at six bucks a piece, which is the average going price for sounds. But I have these other sounds and they're going to use those and be like, damn, that's a good sound. That one really works out here. You know, that's my always my hope is that I diversify that pack enough that the the guys get the sounds that they were look that they really wanted. But then at the same time, they have other sounds that that maybe not a lot of people have. And I think that's the important thing is that, you know, um, I think that's why guys have success with my sounds is they're not as well known necessarily. And so they get out there and pilots, it's fresh to their ears. And so I'm hoping that with those new sounds, the 21 sounds versus the five, they've got other things to fall back on if they're, if they're out there and they want to try something a little different. Yeah. So, Very cool. All right. Well, thank you for joining us tonight, James. We really appreciate you sitting down and chatting with us. You bet, brother. Anytime. And uh, guys that were listening, you know, um, check them out at Boss Predator Acoustics on Facebook or James Bostock. Um, and as always, uh, please um, subscribe to the podcast and please leave a review if you get a chance. Thank hey, you. Thanks, Kevin. And hey, appreciate it, brother. Hey, take care, everybody. Good hunting. You too. Thank you. <laughs>